When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here for the second part of the draft review show. And this is something uh, we had a lot of fun with in part one, uh, talking to Josh Reed, who's back again for part two to talk about the Ravens uh, third through sixth draft picks. We so far have covered Zay Flowers and Trenton Simpson, the, the round one and round three picks. Uh, some other topics we talked about in the first show included some morphing of the passing offense, uh, some of the unanswered questions, although we didn't get too deep into that. Uh, from this, uh, the, how the Ravens addressed value and need uh, in the in the uh, uh, initial stages of this draft, uh, and also what it's like now for the Ravens entering the second uh, contract for Lamar Jackson, and how tight the purse strings are are going to have to be. So go back and download that if you haven't already. Give that a listen. Josh, we're happy to have you back for part two. Glad to be back, Ken. Always a pleasure to talk football with you, my friend. I uh, and. Uh, I guess let's move right on to it and and into uh, round four when the Ravens uh, are up again at 124. I think a, a lot of the Ravens fans getting very antsy for a quarterback, cornerback by this point. Uh, Keely Ringo was still on the board. No, he was not. He was taken, I believe, at 105. By yeah, the Eagles. Eagles traded up to, to take him. Okay, so they did not have that option anymore. So, you know, a lot of people wanted Trice. Uh, as a Corey Trice as a as a big tall, a little bit slower footed uh, cornerback who who might make a lot of sense, uh, a lot of length there. Uh, but the Ravens end up taking Tavius Robinson out of Mississippi. Uh, talk a little bit about what your thoughts were. Uh, well, I, the, first of all, my, my my guy wanted them to take Darius Rush there. Um, he was he was right for the pick, and Dick he ended up going in the early fifth um, to to the Colts, and they got. A, I feel like a, a great uh, steal of a pick, but going back to that Tavius Robinson, you know, he's a, he's a bit of an older guy, but still kind of a, still a, a, an ascending, ascending player. You know, he's, he's a guy that, you know, has, hasn't been in, a, in America too long. Um, you know, it started, started in, 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 uh, I think it was Quebec. Ontario. And, uh, Ontario. 
Um, but yeah, he said that it came, came, he was actually, you know, wanted, wanted to do the, the CFL thing before COVID and ended up, um, you know, going to Old Miss. And um, yeah, he's, he's an interesting backstory. But as far as, you know, on the field, you know, when I first saw his, saw his measurables and everything, I'm always like, okay, is this a guy who you know, puts on a little bit of weight, you play five technique? Or, you know, like, what, what was their kind of envisions for him? And then um, Eric Costa made the comparison of comparing him, like, you know, he's, they envision him as more of a Zadarius Smith kind of role, a guy who can play inside and out, you know, who can kick inside on pass rush downs and be that kind of versatile hybrid grass rusher. And um, just based on what I've seen from his film, I definitely think he can be that guy for the Ravens. Um, and Zadarius Smith had, had a quietly productive rookie year. They had like a four or five seconds four or five tacks as a rookie and generated some consistent pressure. So uh, Octavius can be a, that kind of guy who, you know, comes in, accepts coaching and fills that role for the Ravens. Like, uh, the Ravens are really, I think their pass rush is at their best when they have that kind of hybrid, that, that Pernod McPhee guy, that's Jerry Smith guy, that guy who can, you know, bring the heat off the edge as well as, you know, on twists and stunts or just line up over a guard. Uh, kind of play maybe play play a bit of a rover role. Like I don't envision you know you're not gonna be a rover at six foot six, six foot seven. But you know just that kind of guy kind of pick his gaps sometimes and, and and rush over um you know less athletic interior offensive linemen. So he's a guy that I'm uh, like upon watching his fact that I don't watch too much of him prior to the draft, but you know in the in the day and a half since um he's a guy that watching his tape I'm pretty excited about now. Yeah, it wasn't on my list originally of guys that I had I had looked at, and and it's a very deep edge class, which is which is part of the issue with this. A lot of people had penciled Tavius Robinson in as a four three end, and not really a guy who would adapt to a three four. I'm always of the opinion that you can pretty anybody who would be a good four three end, you can use in a three four defense. You're just going to use him on a on a more selective basis. You or does that rush? Or does that yeah. rush? Yeah, you you use him on the rush side. Or you use them on on obvious passing downs where you get the higher leverage value of it anyway on the inside, as you mentioned with with a with a Pernell McPhee type thing. One thing with with Tavius Robinson is he's had a good a, a decent number of sacks so far in his college career. Four forced fumbles in 2022, which was third in the NCAA's and first in the SEC. So that, that's a you know that's an excellent number. I want a guy who clubs for the football. Um, I watched the Texas Tech uh, game. They they faced them faced them in the Texas Bowl. And he played – Texas Tech had 90 offensive snaps against Ole Miss in that game. Okay, so there were 90 defensive snaps to be played. He played 60 of them, which is really outstanding. Um, he, he was stood up a couple times on short scoring runs, but he did have an outstanding club on a chase down play. It was a good, nice high motor play where, yeah. where, the, where Shuck rolled left and he hit him from behind, nice club from behind dislodged the football he didn't see where it went but his teammates did and that was good and and uh and he picked it up they, they honestly texas tech had a lot more success with uh him not on the field that they, they uh, Ole miss uh uh you know did uh was more effective with with him on the field obviously and that's not surprising he's one of their better players but uh but still uh you know it's a it was a lot of uh defensive snaps in that game for the for the old miss defense in general uh I think he probably starts as a situational pass rusher for the Ravens, a guy who could be has the quickness. You mentioned the games a little bit that that he could be a good under guy on stunts. Certainly, he's a big body, but he also could be a good over guy. I think he has the quickness for it at four sixty. I think he's four sixty six, right on the forty. Look it up. I'll I'll, I'll keep going here. Uh, nice long arms. So that's a guy you want crossing the face of a guard and going into a shorter arm center a lot of the times. So creates all kinds of problems potentially could get shoulders turned 
uh, two guys blocking him at a 45 degree angle, which may create an opportunity for a blitzing linebacker. I do see him as a key chess piece there. In some ways, the underneath guy on stunts as Calais Campbell gave the Ravens, as Justin Matabike can give the Ravens, as even Patrick Queen did a couple of times in this last year, uh, can be really valuable within McDonald's scheme or within the scheme any team can run, frankly, in, in terms of trying to get good opportunities for other players to get a good gap to, uh, to to rush through. So I think he's he's definitely a guy who could uh, who could help with that. Um, you know, it's interesting. He, I, all of the population of Canada is right along the border with the United States pretty much. There's a little bit in Alberta that's spread out a little bit more north to south where they have some people in, in northern uh, Alberta for the oil. But there's really not very much population. It's not within a very short distance of the United States. And he, he went to Guelph. I hope I'm saying it correctly. Collegiate Vocational Institute in Ontario. And then he moved on to the University of Guelph <laughs> for a couple of years. And before he moved on to Ole Miss, I've looked at a map of Guelph and all of Guelph, Hamilton, Toronto, all these other are within about 20 miles of each other. It's, you know, it's, it's basically all one thing. Even if you go to Windsor, Ontario, which is right opposite Detroit, it's maybe an hour away or something. It's not very far. Uh, so you have it, you have all of things, Buffalo, it's all within a very short distance of each other. It's greater, uh, greater Ontario, but it really shows you just how, how tightly grouped the, uh, uh, the schools are in that area. And, and, and frankly, all the population is, but anyway, a little bit of a side note there, uh, Having a Canadian, my first thought was that maybe Brent Urban had played against him, and, and he hadn't. He said, no, they're in another division. And, and uh, you know, they're so close on the map, you know, why not? But I uh, uh, hadn't, hadn't seen him in either a, a hockey or a football context. But uh, one other thing about a Rob Robinson I really like, off the edge, goes for the outside shoulder of the tackle very effectively. And that's something you like to see. And, and he had a good combination of being a guy who could bend, didn't have to run directly through that pressure, but played with heavy hands. Uh, and uh, got to the edge uh, pretty effective. I see you might have something to say to that. Yeah, I'll say it, it, it's really impressive when you see the uh, guys that are that tall that, that that can bend like the way he the way he does. I mean, that's it's such an effective tool, especially when you're going against you know like especially like shorter armed offensive linemen. Especially, I mean, you can get around him so quick and said and it is, and it's his his wherewithal to go for the ball a lot of the time. You don't sometimes guys like 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 maybe like a guy like a Will Anderson might yes. try to just. I try to just drive through the quarterback, right? Instead of, you know, like, you know, like, like, like Red Lewis always tells Terrell Sucks, Sizzle, get the ball. Sizzle, get the ball. Like, I don't care about you blow up the quarterback, you know, like, go for that ball because you'll get credit for the, for the sack and, and the, and the forced fumble. So, uh, a guy who has that wherewithal, like I said, in the fourth round, like I said, even though I wasn't, you know, like too much aware of him, like I said, upon watching his game, I'm like, okay, this guy, this guy has, has some really nice attributes to him that I really like. And said, for a well, tall guy who, you know, at, the, at six, what, six, seven, six, six, and like, I looked at his 40, run, runs a four, six, can bend that, can bend that corner real, real nice and real quick. Yeah, a lot, a lot of things to like, and and he's going to be one of the really interesting players to watch in the preseason because he'll probably play mostly in the second half of games, and we'll see a guy who should stand out in bold relief. If he doesn't, honestly, something is wrong because mm -hmm. the Ravens' defensive depth allows them to have a, you know a, a second half of big advantages against most teams, and uh, I think for good reasons they like to jealously guard that that meaningless, frankly, win streak in the preseason. 
it is a still a lot more fun writing about games where the Ravens are dominating in the second half with their reserve players. When because those are mostly the players I want to write about anyway during the preseason. I don't care what the what the ones do, frankly, in a in a very brief outing. Uh, so we should we should see a lot. He should be one of the really if he's not one of the stars for the Ravens in the preseason, it would be a little bit of a disappointment given how he's going to be set up in the second half of games. Uh, another guy I think really really benefit from Chuck Smith to enhance his toolkit. Uh, now, yeah, I see you nodding on that. That's a good one. Now, one of the one of the problems with him is he's not the he, he doesn't have bad functional strength by anything. I think he's a, he's a fairly powerful uh, man, but twenty three bench reps, arms a little under thirty four inches is is that's on the probably a little bit off the efficient frontier of strength and length in terms of where I'd want it for, for a guy like this, but it's not terrible. It's, it's just, it's, it's just not great. Here's the problem. He's already almost 24 and a half. He'll be 20. Well, he turned 24 in Jan- on January 3rd. That's an older player. And I know while well, he was late getting in football, while well, he was late, while well, he was late. The problem is that that really restricts the total amount of prime the guy is going to have. And in some ways it restricts, the value you'll get out of him, even on the comp side, because think about it, he'll he'll be when he goes to to go to free agency, he'll be 28, and he will be less coveted at that age than the 26 and 27 year olds who came out of the same draft with him, and some of them won't be at the same position. And defensive ends tend to be older, but uh, you know by a year, but he's really older by two years. And it just makes him a little bit less of a hot commodity down the line. I know the last thing you want to be told is that the guy's not going to give us a compensatory pick, you know, two days after we draft him. <laughs> but but it is the case that you, you, you when you draft older players, you have that risk of they've already hit their peak. That's number one, uh, that they don't have as much room for growth in terms of physical strength and whatnot. And then also that they that you don't get as much out of them in terms of a second contract value. Yeah, and so so he he didn't mention his age during his um his his, his uh post post draft um conference call, but when he when like when he's talking about it, he has so much room to grow, obviously not really physically because you know I think what the guys like men start kind of growing at like twenty five or something like that, so he's like a year away from that. But it, it, as far as growing in his in his game, and especially like the, I feel like that growth is going to be expedited by Doctor Rush. You know, like I, I really I think we, we talked about this in previous shows. I love the investment that the Ravens have been making on the yeah. coaching the coaching and training staff the past past few years to get the to get that um the athletic trainer over from the Titans um was I feel like I think his name is uh Dixon or something like that to get that guy who was able you know to turn around not turn around but you know help guys like Jeffrey Simmons and those guys who came into the came into the league hurt and you know that turn their careers around and get them you know off to a jump start is great as far from the training aspect and then from the coaching side just having guys that who are former gurus coming in and working with your young guys and and even your older guys helping your older guys take their game to a next level and helping your younger guys develop at an even quicker rate so you're gonna I think I feel like feel like you're gonna see a lot of Ravens younger players kind of take off sooner. Um, I feel like not only is this going to be a big year for for Adafi Owe, but also David Ajabo. You know, he's going to have a whole off off season of being healthy with Doctor Rush, and you know, in a whole in a full NFL off season, he's not going to recover from anything. And um, I just I just love the investment the Ravens are making in their coaching staff, and I feel like they're going to make some pretty some pretty nice dividends in the in the coming years sooner rather than later. Yeah, in in the nineteen seventies. 
uh, you could invest in players and you could pay pay them more. You could you could make trades. You could you could trade all your draft picks if you wanted to. If you're the Washington Redskins, that's what they did a lot of the times. They they traded their their players and they built the over the hill gang and made the super, made Super Bowl seven against the Dolphins. Uh, Redskins teams for years after that were effective using a similar strategy. But what you can do in this year's in in this day and age, you know, the cap affects everybody equivalently. What doesn't affect everybody equivalently is your ability to spend money on positional coaches, on your facility, on other perks for the game. And that's why, you know, suite holders are still very important to NFL teams is if they can create a fantastic experience for their players, a recruitable experience for their players, have coaches that the, 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 the players can really learn from. They're the, tr- that's coaches in particular. I agree with you are the real gold of the NFL right now, great position coaches. And, uh, uh, you know, the Ravens have done it very well at some positions, offensive line. I think they've done very well on defensive line. Uh, and they've, they've, uh, they've done well, generally speaking in the secondary, um, and not as well at wide receiver, very obviously. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a place where it really hasn't worked out. Yes. And that's why you go out and get a guy like Greg Lewis, who has a history of developing receivers with the Kansas city chiefs. And he was a former NFL receiver himself. And so you go out and get a guy like Keith Williams who's worked with the best of the best with the Devontae Adams and the, and the Tyreek Hills. Like Tyreek Hill was really raw as a route runner coming into the league. He was more of a running back than even a receiver, but over the years he developed more as a, as a more complete receiver because he worked with guys like Keith Williams. Why teams don't like it's crazy. Teams will bring in these, these gurus as consultants for a training camp or for, or for this and for that. But why wouldn't you want a guy on your, like that on your staff full time who can continually work with your players as much as they're allowed to under the, under the, under the CBA. Like the fact that the Ravens are going out and getting these, say, like your quote unquote gurus and expert positional coaches, this shows me that they're willing to tap into that, that gold mine where other teams are just like, Oh yeah. Hey, well, I want you to come by and, and teach your guys a couple things for a tr- for a training camp, and then maybe we'll talk to you again next year. I mean, the fact that the Doctor Rush has taken this this long just to you know to get a full time gig is kind of crazy to me. I I think some of that might be money related, and and I, here's here's what I'll say: if if you're working in business in general, like you, you have an insurance company, it's a lot easier to bring in a consulting actuary and pay them for a temporary gig than it is to bring in a guy at a big high salary. And the reason is he disrupts your whole scale. So if you bring in a guy and, and I don't know what Chuck Smith is making, but let's say Chuck Smith makes $2 million a year and it might be, it might be 600,000. I really don't know. But if, if Rick Neuheisel was a guy, they had to hire out of college as a former uh, head coach. And I think he was making about a million five with the Ravens. Uh, he actually actually lived right around the corner from us. So, so, you know, I, I know what his house cost and, and, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy who, who would have, uh, been a, uh, I'll, I'll just say, you know, a guy like that would stress your other people who are coaching and hoping to do better at what they do. So, you know, if, if, if Chuck Smith comes in and he makes a ton of money, it's easier to pay him that money as a consultant where he's all oh, his job is just temporary. He's, you know, he won't be here next year or, you know, if he does, he'll be back as a consultant kind of thing. It's easier to pay that money on a temporary basis than it is on a permanent basis. Yeah. And I understand if you're a family like, you know, like the, uh, who owns the, the, the Bengals, the, the, the Brown family, I think, I think it is the one who owned the Bengals and like where, where your only money is tied up in the, in the team. Yeah. But for, for a guy like Steve Bishada, who's, you know, that's not his main source of income. You know, or you know, or other teams like that who like who like you know, or the Cowboys. You know, who like you know, Jerry's like you know, 
a former, you know, oil tycoon or whatever. Guys like that, I think we're talking about billionaires here. You tell me a billionaire can't spare a couple hundred thousand, even a couple million to help develop his his young players at premium premium positions. It'd be different if you're talking about an inside linebackers coach, right? Or right. Uh, or your your kicking coach. You know, I don't know how much they're paying. They're paying Randy. I think it was Randy Brown, right? The the kicking coach. Even though even though he'll develop the best kicker in NFL history, Justin yeah. Tucker, you're not going to pay that guy hand over fist. But a guy who's going to who's, who's going to be able to come in and 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 and, uh, and and train your premium pass rushers or your or your or your or your top flight DBs or your quarterback, you know, uh, or like like Jeff Stoutland. I mean, anybody who listens to any any football podcast, you probably hear Jeff Stoutland's name like 101 times. You know, the, the Eagles offensive offensive line coach who's you know, he's kind of the the new Dante Scarnecchi as far as you know the top tier of lots of a line coach. Mm-hmm. Although I, I although I'd argue Joe D's up there, you know, Joe Joe D doing a great he, job. Yeah, he's doing a great job. Yeah, doing 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 excellent. Um, but like I said like like you can't to me, uh, you can't overpay for 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 greatness when it comes to coaching because like in, in the long run it's gonna save you save you money. But if you think about it, if, this, if you have a coach who's good at developing these kind of these kind of positional players and you can pay them, you know, I won't say comparable to a to a coordinator, but you know, you don't you won't have to uh, you know, be tempted to keep those guys on like so many guys on 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 high contracts because if you have a guy that can develop, like hey, we'll take this traits guy and have this guy develop him, and we won't have to pay you know overpay for a Samson Ebucon or a Derek Rivers or something like that. I mean, that's a it's a legitimate legitimate point, and and I think the positional coaching is really worth it. I think you just you probably helps have a culture which says. Don't ask anybody else what their salary is. We don't take kindly to that, but it doesn't matter. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to talk. Everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to talk. There's going to be websites out there that'll have it. You know, they, it, it doesn't matter. But let me frame this up a little differently because I don't think I really made my point as 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 cogently as I should have. If there's 250 million in cap, that means the rate the the owners basically have 250 million of revenue also under the revenue sharing agreement from which to run their organization and derive profit. So let's say an owner wants to make $50 million of profit in a typical year. And I know Bishotti at one point was complaining that he was making about as much running the team as, as his inside linebacker was making when Ray Lewis was here. So it could be, it, it, it honestly could be that they make less than $50 million a year in a profit. It could be $20 million. And it could be some owners are running, the, running their team at a loss. It adds up pretty quickly if you give one of your assistant coaches, one of your position-specific coaches, one extra million and you say, well, uh, we could, we can't afford not to do it kind of thing that you might end up paying three or four or five or six guys an extra million because they know what's going on uh, uh, in a relative sense. Now, all of that's negotiable, um, you know, and everybody has to fit in under Harbaugh, who I don't know exactly what he makes per year, but it's, you know, it's, it's probably close to 10 million, maybe a little bit more um, in, in terms of what he is. It's it just it becomes a more difficult pu- puzzle to solve in terms of relative salaries. If you're out there and you've run a department ever where you had a bunch of high priced employees, you know, IT is a perfect example where older people tend to get overpaid and younger people. Then you have to fit their salaries in and the older people can get upset if the younger people are making more than them. But that may be, really be in terms of productivity, what's appropriate. Same kind of dynamic exists in the coaching world, and it might be very difficult to keep everybody relativized. And still, you know, have a decent profit margin for the owner. It's, it does ultimately have to come out of their pocket. But you make a good point that, hey, Steve Bishotti is not a Brown who has to be concerned about the football operation maintaining his family well. 
Yeah, and like you said, I'm not saying do that for every coach, but I'm saying like you're not gonna like you you probably want to pay your defensive line coach or your offensive line coach or your quarterbacks coach more than you're paying your running backs coach. You know, like, like I'm not saying that running back coaches, you know, salaries don't matter, aren't 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 on the you know as as meaningful. But as far as like you know, like if you coach a premium position and you do that at a at an elite level and you're turning out elite guys or even upper echelon guys, like I said, like I said defensive line coaches, pass rush specialists, stuff like that. I'd be willing to fork over a little bit more. Too. Like, like I said, I'm not a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever, but I just feel like those guys are well worth the investment. Yeah. All right. Outstanding. So, uh, you know, one of the things that that I, I just want to say about Tavius is he's a fourth round pick. He really needs to contribute immediately at his age. He's not a guy that you say, well, he's a year in the NFL weight room, and then we can talk about him as a project for next year. If he's not on the field in 2023 to a fair degree, the pick it won't have been completely wasted, but it, it will not have been maximized uh, if that's the case. No, I think he's going to get the Zedarius treatment. He's going to be on the field. I wouldn't say early and often, but like on a regular on a regular rotating basis this year. Um, I just I just feel like the Ravens are going to be in position where they're going to want to platoon those guys, keep those guys fresh, and I feel like um, they're going to. I feel like they're going to. I feel like they're going to be a lot of um, the defense is going to be a lot, a lot of down and this situations. I mean, just having Roquan, man, like. Man, like I said, I almost want to like the, just like you know like hey, do we forgot to talk about second round pick? And that's Rokon Smith, you know, because like it's like have, having him as that field general and that 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 um, that that, uh, that that uh, transformative presence, you know, as far as the guy, the guy that the, the tide races all ships kind of guy, and just being that field general in the middle and kind of like uh, like I said, he's going to stop a lot of plays before they can happen. All right, let's move on. Uh, round five, uh, number one fifty-seven, the Ravens. Definitely one of the controversial picks of the draft, I'd say. Finally picked up their cornerback. It's Caillou Blue Kelly of Stanford. Six foot one ninety one, a four fifty two forty. Thirty two inch arms are are nice for a cornerback. That's a good length, obviously. Uh, and he won't turn twenty two until later on in May. So like, one of the younger uh, corners, not super young, but certainly not an older player. Uh, your thoughts on Caillou? Um. I think he's a, I think he's a solid, solid, solid. I wouldn't say developmental guy, but kind of, kind of a developmental guy. You know, like his, his junior tape was better than his than his senior tape, and the Ravens even yeah. even said as much. He even admitted as much. I think I think it was uh, 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 Blackburn, uh, the, the the director of college scouting, who was saying that they're a guy that he's a guy that could have could have been a, a day two pick had he come out last year in last year's draft. And you know, he talked about um he talked about how last year he only faced about like the total twenty five snaps in man and a, a big emphasis for him at the senior bowl was showing coaches that you know his 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 junior year wasn't a fluke and that he could still do all those things and make all those plays. So he's he's a guy that that he was he was nominated a senior he was elected a senior bowl national player of the week for the national team. So that you know that that kind of stuff goes along. You know Ravens love that kind of stuff. They 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 pull from the, I don't have the exact numbers, but I know that they, they draft at least one or two senior bowl players every year. They love those guys that, that could, you know are more experienced guys, guys that they can you know get a, get an early look, a more hands on look on early in the process. And so they they've clearly taken it. And uh, they they said that he's a guy that they've been watching for a couple of years now. Thought he was going to come out last year. So he's a guy that the Ravens are fa- are fairly versed in, and um, they be- they believe he's closer to that to that 2021 player than the 2022 player that didn't put up as, as impressive numbers in coverage or, or overall. I mean, it's it's nice that that's a realization. Um, I I have additional problems with his game because other than the Senior Bowl performance, there's not a standout element of his game 
And so the 452 speed is a problem. And, and you'd want to have offsetting characteristics. If you were the greatest ball hawk of all time, uh, you'd love to have that. Or if he if he even was a guy who had a had a wonderful ball skills record, uh, contested for every catch, you know, like nobody's business. Uh, if you look at his actual statistics, actual performance statistics, they're not good. 8.9 yards per target in 2022, but 8.4 for his career. So even including his good 21 season, he's not that good in terms of his of his yards per target in his career. That's a, that's a number a lot of receivers would be very happy to get. And one new receiver to the Ravens, Odell Beckham, he'd take either of those numbers. And if he wouldn't, he's crazy. <laughs> and he wouldn't, I'll take it for him. <laughs> so uh, those those, those uh, you know are, are numbers certainly that a lot of receivers would like. 10 TDs, three interceptions career, 97.5 passer rating against. Now, not everybody is Devon Witherspoon and has a 25.3 passer rating against. And, you know, most of the draftable cornerbacks have a quarterback rating against it's probably in the 70s or the 60s or even the 50s. It's very rare to see guys who are, who are somewhat higher than that. There are a couple. I'm not saying they're, they're not a couple, but the guys who were drafted, you know, equal or before Caillou, nobody's, I don't think anybody's got a 97.5 career passer rating against. So that's, that's not good. He does have solid size and length. Um, he has not been able to translate that into ball production, which is just an okay 8.9% pass defense rate for his entire career. Again, I'm, I'm not crazy about that. I'm trying to figure out what it is that the Ravens loved about him so much other than the senior bowl. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you, and they, they told the story about this. Um, and, like first time they they watched him was was going against Drake London, and then uh, I think the the year before in 20, 2021 during during his really good season. And like so, like basically basically they they saw the performance he had against Drake London. And it was like, man, this guy's going toe for toe with a projected top ten pick. And um, then this past season, his performances against uh, Jordan Addison were like a thing that people were really harping on after he got, after he got picked. So I think that, that what the Ravens like is, is his potential and his ability to play big against against the best, the better competition. You know, a guy who's not going to shy away from a challenge, a guy who's you know is going to you know like try his best to improve. I mean, he was essentially a four-year starter um, in, in college. And uh, I think he started off as a special teams guy early on. He's going to be playing a lot of special teams for the Ravens, especially early on. But he's a guy that I feel like he could be a nice developmental prospect. He could turn to a solid cornerback depth um, for uh, for during his during his tenure as a Raven and be a good, really good special teams player. I mean, it's it resets the clock at cornerback. Um, there, there's some positives about that, and I, and I like the answer because it's maybe an answer to the question that's legitimate: is if he's always going up against an opponent number one receiver, that is a reason to expect results that are not as good it's just the results are not very good the, the, the college you know production against him has been way too good for it for the typical drafted cornerback um he's not the most um physical man defender you'll see he's not a ike taylor jimmy smith bump the guy out of bounds all the way down the sidelines guy uh he's he's a uh, more of an off corner uh in terms of what i see not really a big press guy although he, he probably has the size to do that maybe that's something the ravens really uh, like about him i don't think he reads the qb honestly all that well but I, i'm i'm looking for this feature that the ravens like doesn't have a good missed tackle rate by the way either um i'm looking for the feature that the ravens like they obviously like the senior bowl and they probably loved as you mentioned the fact that that he went up one for one against some of the best receivers probably 
that the other team could put out there. And, uh, and maybe that was something. So uh, the other part I want to discuss perhaps briefly is that the Ravens have a fairly deep set of cornerbacks right now that they don't know exactly what they have. JAD developmental prospect, um, you know, Brandon Stevens, frankly, in a lot of ways, they don't know exactly what they have yet. Happy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a slot guy, is he going to be able to hold up? I mean, they, they couldn't continue to give him the chance at slot corner and they had to put Hamilton there instead this last year. It wasn't, it wasn't really a, a choice, but he just represented the, one of the best 11 they could put on the field. And they, they dealt with the, both the assets and the shortcomings that are very different from a typical slot corner that, that Hamilton gives you. Yeah, yeah. Pepe kind of had a trial by fire. Um, I mean, both him and JAD did. I mean, JAD, they had the pull him. Yeah, they, um, yeah, they had to pull him from that game. It was like, dude, Devin. I mean, uh, yeah, it was the uh, Parker was eating his lunch for like a whole a whole half. So they had to like, look, man, you're your liability out there. So both of those guys. Was, I mean, after I mean, the worst thing that happened with those guys as rookies was was Fuller going down. Fuller going down, and then and, you know Marcus Peters not being up up to snuff right 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 away. Um, and they, they weren't ready for those for those high level snaps early on, and they were guys that needed kind of needed to be eased into eased into it. Um, I definitely think eliminating that fourth preseason game kind of hurts guys like that. You know, guys who needed some need some like as much as much uh, live reps as they can heading into the season. And so I think um, like I think I, I like the Ravens are taking are taking more taking more uh, you know more you know more swings and more more darts at that position, hoping that one of them one of them rises to the challenge. Because after all, they're all those, all, all, all three of those guys are day three picks, so it's not like you know you, you spend like a third or fourth rounder. I mean, third. I mean, he is fourth rounder, like a third or second round or even first round pick on those guys. And so they're kind of like anything. I wouldn't say anything on day three is, a, is kind of a you know a dart throw, but you know they're they're less value picks as say. But but then again, Brandon Stevens was a third round pick. Day two was, pick, yeah. yeah. He's even though he was albeit at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the third, you know, essentially some. Fourth round guys sometimes get reached for at the bottom of the third, but still, um, he's a guy that also looked like like Brendan Stevens. He's a guy who's flashed at times last season. You know, he made some nice high leverage plays last season, but he's not a guy that you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm confident in being our quarterback cornerback two heading into 2023. I think he's going to be a solid backup as long as they leave him at corner and stop trying to you know fiddle him around with other positions in the secondary. Well, so, I mean, let's talk about that for just a second because I think that's going to be one of the key things is what they do with Stevens. I think he stays at outside corner. I hope they give him the whole year to try and try and get it figured out. But I also don't don't want to see him on the field for many snaps. And I'm going to be more comfortable if he's the fourth outside corner than if he's the third outside corner. And I definitely don't want him to be the second outside corner where, you, where you're starting him. If they if they you know they'll bring in a veteran, whether it's Rakyasin or whether it's uh, um, Peters. I don't, it, it could be both, or it could be a guy they bring in a veteran slot if they really want to move Hamilton back off the ball. Um, but but it, I think they're going to bring in two cornerbacks that they, that they sign here. Wouldn't have any problem if it were those two specifically, though probably both, both of them will want to start. And it's less likely that that'll actually be the way. But here's the issue I don't know if they can sort through these guys in a year to decide who's the next guy because I don't, I don't know that we really want them on the field very often. So can they decide between Brandon Stan, uh, uh, between Brandon Stevens, JAD, and Caillou Blue Kelly? Let's just start with that group. Forget about Derek War- Daryl Worley, who they seem to like more than any of those guys, by the way. 
And, and the, you know, the fact that they had what 18 or so transactions on him last year, tell you, yeah, know, they really crazy. like who Daryl Worley is. Uh, they, 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 they know he has value and, and they, and they stick him in there. Kayvon Seymour is still around. Now, I don't think he's going to be taking an outside corner role for the Ravens. He's really more of a special teams guy, but he definitely is an emergency corner. And I'm, I can't really say at this point that I don't want him on the field more than JAD. Yeah. Daryl Worley is a guy who like, you know, he, he knows what he's doing at all times. You know, it's, it's just a talent thing, man. You know, with, with Daryl Worley, he's a guy who's like, he's a smart player and he's even made some nice instinctive plays. And it's just like, like going to, going up against guys like Jamar Chase, is a mismatch. You know, there's a clear talent gap between, between him and like, he's good on the team's second or third receiver, but when he has, when he's forced into action, I guess, uh, or, or find himself lined up against, you know, an upper echelon receiver like a, like a T Higgins or, uh, or, Joe, or Jamar Chase. Uh, I would say nine times out of 10, he's going to get posterized, but the odds of him, the odds of him uh, making a play and the other guy and, and the other guy not coming down with the catch is, is much lower. Certainly there was, there was a lot that was said in the, in the comments that Wink made after leaving the team, obviously, the easiest way to answer a question, which is a bad reflection on you, is to is to make something funny. What's your greatest weakness? Chocolate. You know, you're supposed to say in an interview. You know, they ask Wink, Wink, what did you learn from from the lousy season you had last year? Don't don't hire your corners from DoorDash. That that it just first of all, wow. it throws it all on the on the players and not on the on the on the thing. So it's I I thought it, he got the laugh he was hoping for out of the thing. In terms of responsibility points, uh, it wasn't as good an answer. And, no, uh, he left like he 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 didn't do guys like Chris Westry and them guys certain like uh, he did those guys a major disservice like, with all with all the, the zero uh, pressure pressures he called and all our pressures. I mean, there there were times I'm begging on my knees, Ken, like, oh please, please don't send the house, please don't send the house. You cannot leave Chris Westry one on one. I don't care if it is against Marquise Goodwin or whoever that guy was against Chicago that he gave up the long touchdown to. But I was just like, you know, like, you don't have the kind of personnel to be taking those kind of dice rolls, man. Like. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Like at a certain point, it comes down like, yeah, you wish you get better players, and you know you don't have the same. If you can't call the plays, like you have your number ones and your top tier guys in there, if they're not in there, you know, and even then, sometimes you don't want to leave those guys, you know, at a, at a disadvantage, especially in high leverage downs. So I like I like I like the way that that McDonald kind of got into his groove and. Especially the second half of the season, and he was really he's really dialing up stuff and really kind of like being strategically aggressive instead of just ah, all our blitz, all our blitz. 
Yeah, he, he, honestly, I, I have a lot more respect for Wink than that. I, I, I think that Wink did a good job of adapting by week to each team in, in terms of that. He had a bias towards aggression, sure. That that was kind of his calling card, and the Ravens are good with good with it. But, uh, you know, it's I, I agree. McDonald um, probably did more with more is what I'll say about this last year Yeah. in terms of, of uh, you know, having Roquan for starters and getting the defense really turned around at midseason. Yeah. I, I love what everything in the week was doing. It was just his last season when you didn't have the personnel to be as aggressive as you're accustomed to being. You, you got to dial back a little bit, man. All right. So, uh, Kelly, I think we've, we've kind of beaten the topic to death. It does kind of uh, – the Ravens do have an ongoing kind of uh, – uh, glut at corner they have to work through and they don't have a long time to work through it they're going to have some practice squad players who are generated from the current set of people they have or Darius Washington another player we haven't really discussed but coming up on I think he's year three this year yes year three um that that uh they haven't really figured out what his role is with the team either so uh it'll they've got a lot to figure out in the in the preseason even if they get the the uh the veteran corners they want and yeah Kyrie's Oh, I was gonna say Caillou's dad played in the league too. Um, yeah. for yeah, for running like ten years and won a Super Bowl with the Buc- with with the Buccaneers. Um, and he actually um like the same year they won a Super Bowl in two thousand two, his dad led the uh, tied Charles um, Charles Woodson for the uh, league 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 in picks. He had eight eight interceptions that year. So I was I was I was like, man, your dad was playing the ball hawk in his career. What, 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 yeah. you, what happened did to you? Did you, <laughs> yeah, did you did you not inherit the hands or something yeah. or what, what's going on? Did your dad not get you on the junk machine? So um, I'd like to see him improve that area of his game, and he talked about some of the he talked about that area of his game and his and his um and his uh his conference call with the media. He talked about how he wants to be like be more physical and how he wants to kind of embody, like like learn from a guy like Marlon Humphrey, even though they're not the same necessarily the same size, but still kind of improve on the physicality as, aspect of his game, which I think would be good too. But but um like, like I said, I think I think being around a guy like like Marlon would do wonders for him. But if they bring a guy like Marcus Peters back, which I think he'd be great for a, a great mentor to a young corner like that too. All right. All right, outstanding. So uh, we we move on here. Let's talk to move on to round six with the most difficult to produce uh, pronounce name in the entire draft. And uh, I'll try once here. Sala Amuvai Laulu, and that's in the ballpark. Uh, you did, but- no, you actually did good. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, I I know his uncle. His uncle is actually um, a, a football legend up here in Alaska, uh, Junior Amuvai. And that's how you pronounce the first half of his of, of his name. And so yeah, he's he, I think he was actually um, the guy we just drafted. I think um, like the, what the Eric, Eric said, I'm just gonna call him Salah. So um, he's he's a guy that uh, Coach Coach D liked, and I think he was actually an Alaskan born guy too. Even though I think he, even though he went he ended up moving out of out of state, but he's a guy that's um, I think belief was, was born in Alaska, um, but yeah, his, his uncle played uncle played played in the league. He played for the Jets and I think a couple other teams. And um, he's a, he's a guy who's like a really he's a really like like he's a, I mean he's clearly a developmental prospect, you know, kind of kind of guy, but a guy with the with the whole with the whole lot of upside and played played some guard, played some tackle in college primarily at, at right tackle. But he's a guy that um that has the size and the positional flexibility that the Ravens really covet, especially in those later round picks. I mean, they have a I mean, going back in the going back in you know in their history, they have a propensity for for uh, for drafting and, de- and developing these these later round guys. You know, like you got the Ryan Jensen's and and the and the, and the Rick the Rick Wagner's and the, and uh, the Bradley Bozeman's. Mm-hmm. 
all good all good examples of of taking late round guys that's for sure and um i i like the idea of calling him mal and i you know sala sounds right but m-a-l uh you know he's bad and that's a that's a not not, not that he's a bad player he's a bad man you know you want you want uh uh, you know, anyway, older player again, he'll be 24 uh, in May here and uh, 34 and a half inch arms at six, six. I love uh, that's something that, that, that will serve him well, no matter where he plays, obviously on the offensive line, he'll, he'll be helped by that 18 bench reps. Now he is too big a dude. Too much of his game is strength-based for him to be at 18 bench rate, even with those longer arms. You know, if he were 23, I'd say, okay, well, it's, a, it's a matter of the, the arm length that's held him back. That's still in the efficient frontier of length and strength. He's not on it at 18 bench reps, and that's that's obviously a problem for him. Um, one of the things about him and is – just watch a little bit of him uh, in, in from his play this last year. He's a right tackle who – uses his hands reasonably well. I say he tries to punch. Uh, he uses his hands independently, which by the way, you don't see from everybody. There's a lot of non-independent um, hand users who are relatively new to the game and they, you know, they, they burst up with both arms always at the same time, but they punch out with both arms, always try to hit the, the defensive lineman with uh, both at the same time. Uh, I call that that using both flippers at the same time in pinball. And if you want to tell a really bad pinball player, they they use both flippers at the same time all the time. Uh, anyway, Salah, we'll call him, has a better way of trying to deliver a, an independent punch, but he's just not strong enough currently to deliver the kind of force he needs to to be effective. He gets himself off balance doing it sometimes too, so that's, a, that's something I don't like. Penalized 10 times as a senior, 22 times, in 2007 college snaps. Now it does happen. There are some worse players at that, but his is really bad. I look at the Ravens have a UDFA who has an unbelievable penalty record that we'll, we'll get into on the next show we're doing Josh, but uh, uh, that that's really uh, a lot of penalties still. It's a Michael Orr level. It's mostly false starts. It's not a lot of decline penalties, which is something that actually is good. You don't want to have uh, option penalties, uh, for the most part. So it is a lot of false starts. Uh, if you look at how the guy goes out at a level two, and you, you see this as bigs against smalls, uh, on screen passes in particular, he's a big time lunger. So uh, it is kind of natural. You're trying to trying to have an effect on a smaller man, and they're usually much more adept at running around you when you're his size. And he ends up being being a little bit of a lunger. Guy can take himself off his own feet in level two. Uh his mirror is okay, I would say, as a tackle. Uh, one thing you look for is that he's not clicking his heels together. He doesn't want to go back to Kansas. You know, you put your heels together at, at tackle, not maintaining, not maintaining that wide, short, choppy she- uh, steps uh, left to right. You put yourself at risk of getting off balance very easily from that. Most of his problems are off balance front to back, not laterally. And that's actually very important for pass blocking. It makes him a, a better pass blocker that he has some of that lateral mirroring ability as opposed to the uh, the, the, the punch and losing his uh, 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 balance from, from front to back. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a guy who's like I said, who has like a lot of lot, lot of really appealing qualities, and and like I feel like all the deficiencies in this game can be can be fixed and corrected with coaching. And he's he, it's not he's like a guy who can't do these things, who can't get stronger, who can't refine his technique. This guy's going to take some time to do that. And like, like like when you're when you're drafting a guy, taking a guy in the sixth round, he's you know I would say he's basically. You know, basically a, a dark, a dark throw, but he's kind of like shot, shot, shot in the dark. You know, kind of doing. This is a guy, hey, sixth to seventh round is kind of made for guys, but one made for specialists. You know, that's, that's when you mm-hmm. should be tar, tar, targeting your 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 punters, your long snappers, and your kickers, but also guys whose traits that you love and that you think you can develop into a a good a, a good rotational piece, if not a quality starter. You know, that's the guy where yeah. a guy like Jordan Mailata for the Eagles was taken after not even playing football. He was a rugby player all his life up, up until he got taken. Now he's one of the better left tackles in the league. So um, I think like this is like for for a player with with his size. His rare size, rare, rare length, and, and, and physical attributes. Um, this is this was like the right part of the draft to, to target a guy like that. And you can t- clearly tell that Joe D was. Uh, I don't know if you saw the the, the, yes. concert, the yeah the guy. Joe excited. D was very is very excited about this guy. And if Jody's excited, I'm excited. And um, as I plan on talking to his I'm talking to his uncle for an article I'm going to write about the the, the last connections to, to the draft thing, and um I, I'll, I'll see if I can um, maybe even get a, a word with him too. But he's a, he's a prospect that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. That's that just because you know he has Alaska roots, but because of all things we just got done talking about, and um and if, if Jody's excited, I'm I'm excited, and I feel like he could be a guy who could be a really good depth piece, if not even a potentially a starter. And, um not not of course not this year. Um, but you never know. You never know. He could get thrust into the fire. Injuries happen all the time. And, you know, you're not going to he's not going to be guys. Not I feel like he's definitely going to be on the team. Yeah, I, I, I hope he's not thrust into the fire this year. I think he's at least a year away. And, you know, you talk about guys who need to be in an NFL weight room. He's 24. This shouldn't be true of him. He really should have his grown man strength, but he doesn't. And. You know, it's it's unfortunately he really needs to needs to get it together pretty quickly. He's got, I think, a year. Uh, if if things did not work out over the course of a year that that he's not ready to go for the 2024 season, I'd be really upset by it. I mean, it would mean the pick had failed. Uh, and you know, it's it's a round six pick, but it's not the end of the world. But it's also not good. I hate the term dart throw or lottery ticket with regard to draft picks in the later round. What I want to say is a lower percentage to succeed or it's a lower than 50% chance to succeed. But the Ravens, and, and they're really going to have to lean on this, their drafting success is what this organization has as, as its biggest asset. And, you know, how I look at it is, yeah, the Ravens only have a 35% chance to make a, a six-round draft pick turn into something that can be useful for them, whereas other teams have a 10% chance or a 14% chance of that happening. That's the Ravens' edge right there. That, that, that difference in the probability of that six-round pick working out is the Ravens' edge, and, and they've had some really good players you know, come out of these rounds. And it's, is it a lottery ticket? That's just the wrong characterization. It's more like you know, the difference between two poker players of vastly different skill levels, each buying an entry into the World Series of Poker. The player with the, who's the better player is getting much better value for that entry fee than, than I am. For example, <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I, I just I kind of dislike the lottery ticket or the dart throw or whatever. It's it's, it's a it, it doesn't have a, a, a super high probability of succeeding. But if it does, I mean, the Ravens have had a fair number of them that have worked out. And when it does, it could work out very well. It did with yeah. Ellis Thomas, Chuck Clark, et cetera. 
Yeah, yeah, and he's 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 a guy that I, I was just I was just talking to somebody about like you know, uh, he, if you could you couldn't ask for a better landing spot some uh, than 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 the Ravens if you're if you're a late round pick looking to develop and get your career jump started and have a have a place that is willing to be willing to take the time to develop develop you. I don't I don't think they're going to bail him like they did a guy like Robert Myers all those all those years ago. You know, Quad, Quadzilla, but he's the guy I feel like they're going to they're going to stick with, and I'm really going to have a good chance to develop. Like I said, anybody that Jody's excited about, I know has got a shot in this league. All right, well that's fair, and I and I you know I feel the same way in, in terms of that. And if he's if he's coachable, then Jody's really going to be able to help him. I hope so, uh, and and hopefully the strength coaches as well. Let's go ahead and move on to a guy I absolutely love. The Ravens got in round seven, and I'm sorry, everybody. He's he's got his hands together here. Josh loves him too. It's pretty clear. But I'll say that that um, very interesting pick. First of all. We had the live stream going, and we and we cut off at 199 because I just didn't see any way the Ravens would be would be trading back in. And of course, kind of just like the surprise of drafting Lamar Jackson in 2018 when they got back into the first round late on that night, and I, I'd already gone to sleep at that point, uh, disappointed with the with the loss of Derwin James and the trades downs to eventually get Hurst. Uh, you know that that's uh, it's just one of those things, but. They trade back in, use next year's sixth to pick up Andrew Voorhees, a guard from USC. Start us off. My man. I mean, he was one of my, I mean, like coming into the, the pre-draft process, because like, I was watching, I watched quite a few uh, USC games, um, just uh, like uh, keeping tabs on another uh, former Alaskan uh, prospect that ended up landing with the Miami Dolphins, uh, Brandon Peely. But yeah, Voorhees, man, I mean, just talking about the guy, like the guys, the, the guy's last name. You know, talking about Jason for he's. I mean, he's, he's a dude that can, can put you. He can put you in a body bag. I mean, I love love, love his toughness. Uh, the glove is great. He's like that. He's a he's a guy that's kind of you know overcame some injuries in college, so you know he's kind of accustomed to this to this grind and over overcoming it. But he's he's a guy who I I really feel like is a fundamentally sound prospect and a power, powerful guy. I mean, he put up more reps than anybody. Anybody at the uh, at the combine this year with 38 reps with a torn ACL? I yep. mean, like, 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 it, as a, as a former powerlifter myself, man, so much, so much, so much of your of your power and balance when you're on 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 the bench, you know, comes from from your stance. And you know, like, the, you, you 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 when you're pushing, you're pushing off with your legs. You can when you're, you you feel it in your quads, and even though you're using your arms, like your your whole body's kind of going into pushing that weight off. For him to be on the one leg, one leg and put up 38 reps. I mean, I don't. I don't even know if I could I could put up ten. You know, I I still lift from time to time, but I don't even know if I could put up ten. You know, with with, with one leg, like you know, kind of straightened out because I didn't have my ligaments attached to to, to each other. So I mean, that that alone is pretty impressive. And um, I feel like he's a guy that's you know, like you, of course, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna see him on the field this year, but he's a dude I feel like can pay major dividends as soon as twenty twenty four. Yeah, uh, that, that was a remarkable bench performance. By the way, there were only 10 guys who had 30 reps. He had 38, and the next highest was 34, Mazzy Smith and Jovan Gwynn. Uh, so for him to do 38 under those conditions is remarkable. There are people who would poo-poo it because he's got 32 and an eighth-inch arms. I, I wouldn't at all do that. I think he's still – it's more than on the efficient frontier. It's it's an outlier to the efficient frontier still uh, of uh, of length and strength. Uh, you know, he is an older player to start with. He, he was born 121.99, so he's already over 24. Uh, he's already 24, if you, if, you, if you talk about it that way. He'll see his first action for the Ravens, his first regular season action, when he's 25.7. So 
He's he's going to be closing in on his 26th birthday when he first touches the field for the Baltimore Ravens because it's going to be a complete redshirt year, obviously, uh, for him. It'll be a rehab year that's very important, uh, and I think you know probably he's in a great place to do it. I, I almost think that he's so far ahead of the curve in terms of his uh, functional strength on the field. That's actually something you won't have to worry about as much. Just rehab, rehab the hell out of that knee, get it ready to go. Um, and then I hope he's a guy who can work on his technique a little bit, learn some of the other elements of offensive line play, and certainly learn elements of offensive line scheme by being in the room uh, for to, to the, that he can, you know, hit the ground running in 2024. A few things about his career at USC. So he played left guard in 2022. That's probably where he will end up with the Ravens in 2024, but it's not impossible that he's Kevin Zeitler's replacement right out of the chute. Okay. Now he's not ideal on the right side for some reasons, length being the primary one, but on the other hand, He's got tr- that tremendous functional strength, which will allow him to rotate the defensive tackle. You have to pivot that player through there and open the front gate for your right-handed run game. He is the he is a great guy to do that. I think Ben Cleveland trained up could possibly also be a, another guy. I don't think there's anybody else currently on the Ravens who it really would make sense to consider for that role. Not, it's not that somebody might not emerge, uh, you know, from this. It's not you know maybe that maybe Salah becomes a guy who you know, has enough strength after a year that he could compete for that job. But I think, uh, and, and maybe uh, Fa'alele is a guy who, who could be somebody you want at that position. They're talking about Fa'alele at left guard uh, competing for that spot, but that's because Zeitler is entrenched. He's obviously not losing his job when, when if, if Zeitler leaves, and I think there's probably a pretty good chance because the Ravens will again be looking at how to save money after 2023 uh, then they're going to have to figure out which of these you know young guys can do it. And they'll probably have a, a, a kind of a cloudy guard picture on both sides. But I think Vori's, if I had to bet right now, would be the guy I think will step in at right guard and and be the one from the from the very start of 2024. Yeah, I think you know in, in the perfect world, given that Kevin Zarich is entering the final year of his the final year of his deal, right? I think he's only basically he signed he signed a three year deal in 2020 after he got released. I think right yeah. 2020 or 2021. It was 2021. Um, but um, yeah, 20, 2021, because like 2021, 2022, 2023. Yeah, so this is the last year of his deal. And, you know, in the perfect world, I feel like, you know, the Ravens would love to develop, um, you know, Salah and then um, have your know, 40s return and, you know, those potentially uh, could, t- could compete with um, with, with uh, Ben Cleveland to be your starting, you know, right or left, right, right and left guards uh, going forward on expensive contracts. But um, yeah, yeah, Forrest is a guy I'm super excited about, and I, I, I'd love for him and and, and Salah, because Salah, I, I, I saw that he projects that some people were saying he projects better at um at at uh, at, at, at guard, anyways. So, um, like I, both of those guys, I feel like would would definitely definitely benefit from kind of being uh, Zyler kind of taking them under his wing, and you know, like I said, uh, to be the guy that kind of coaches them up both on the field and in in, in the in the locker room. And um, I thought, I'm excited about both those guys, but uh, for he's just like the the tremendous value. Like I, said, I know he's an older player and all that, but he was one of my guys that like, early in the, in the pre-draft process that I was like really excited about. And like, yeah, this could be a guy that potential Ben Powers replacement, you know, like, right off the bat, you know, plug and plug and play starter on that left side. He was AP All American. I think he started like, started 11 games. He missed like a couple games due to injury, but he's he's a guy that I was like, man, like when he's healthy, plug and play starter, plug and play from day one. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to talk a little bit about his play on the field because I had a lot of fun watching his tape. And I, there's even <laughs> there is a cut up out there, and I don't I don't remember who is the internet guy, analyst, uh, whatever you want to call him, that that, that did it. But the, I think the very first play, he, he wants to talk about the nasty streak that Andrew Voice has. And it ends up being one of the things I think Andrew Voice really needs to watch about his play. He's going up against a defensive tackle who's a three-tech, I believe, on the play. And he dominates him and throws him to the ground. The problem is he wants to finish him so badly, he finishes him into the legs, the back of the legs of the left tackle. Okay, and, and it was an important play. It's Cortland Ford, who was number 74, who played left tackle. Cortland Ford missed the next two weeks. Okay, and it looked a lot scarier than that, by the way, in, in terms of this. The guy couldn't kept running that back and, and showing that nasty streak. And I'm like, you really do not want that. Okay, I, wanna, I want a guy who finishes a guy downfield, pancakes and falls on top of him if you're, if you're driving him to level two. But be careful with your own. Kyle Linderbaum. Level. Yeah. Yeah, well – I mean, Kyler Linderbaum, I'm sure if he's going up against a smaller player or, or a defensive tackle, if he gets a good pitch off the line of scrimmage on a double team initially and, you know, Ben Cleveland will take him for a ride down the field and then flop on top of him, you have my blessing. But we, don't I, want, we, don't, we don't want no Ronnie Stanley get, no. get, getting hurt out here. Exactly. The, guy's, the guy's been rolled up on way too much in his career already. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like I said, we don't want no Trevor Penning situation. I mean, that, that guy – <laughs> that guy – uh, he's the, that guy was a character last year. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad the Ravens didn't didn't take him as their uh, next next right tackle of the future. Um, but yeah, uh, he's he's a guy that said, I, I appreciate the nastiness and and you know like like the whole Jason you know Jason Voorhees thing kind of finish you know finishing a guy. Uh, but uh, yeah, that that's definitely a thing you got to keep an eye on, and I um, don't want to see that at next level. Very well built, top to bottom. He's six six three ten, so he's got some of the height, some of the issues that come with height. Uh, does not necessarily keep his pad level low enough, but he's so freaking strong. Uh, you see upper body strength, lower body strength, a ton of upper body strength. And he's definitely got the hands that redirect a defensive tackle in a very rare way. And I, I don't say that lightly. There are not a lot of guys who can easily turn a defensive tackle in the NFL alone. Okay, meaning they, they, they don't need a double team to do it. He just he'll just turn the guy and 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 start pushing him on his own. And I thought I, seeing that even at the collegiate level, very impressed. Right, um, as good he is at at that component of run blocking, he's he's got very balanced lateral movement. I thought he did a very good job as a as a pass blocker in terms of having a good mirror. Uh, his game is much more about upper body strength than Ben. There are a lot of one of the criticisms of him. Uh, generally, and I don't know that I observed this too much on tape, um, is that he kind of leaves his chest a little bit exposed, gets too high, and can give um, other defensive tackles an opportunity to stand him up and bull him a little bit. I saw a guy who re-anchored extremely well when he got moved back. You go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's gonna be my that's gonna be yeah. my next thing. Like, you know, like you were saying, typically with, with tall guys, you can get you can get uh, going against especially shorter defensive linemen. Uh, they can get up and easy pass and kind of pull you. But if you have a guy who can re-anchor almost as quickly as you try to jack him up, I mean, you, you, you reach a stalemate. And at, at that point, he's already won the rep because the ball's gone. So he's a guy who has that. I was that older player already has his grown man strength. Already came in. You know, uh, he knows how to use it well to his advantage. 
And uh, like I said, I, I can't wait. To, I can't wait. To, I don't want to fast forward to next year because I, I got to feel like the Ravens are going to do special things this year. But the, the the future of the Ravens' interior offensive line, I feel, like is is very bright with some of these some of these picks. And I feel like uh, uh for for he said uh for uh, Linderbaum and potentially even even Salah, man, this could be the Ravens' starting lineup in twenty twenty four and beyond. It really makes sense. I think that they stick with Bigs next to Linderbaum on either side. I mean, Linderbaum is a, is definitely a smaller guy, and to get the most out of him, you want him helping on a combination block at the line of scrimmage, moving up to level two and finding that second block. And and I, I, Linderbaum will do that best if he's working next to mountains like Cleveland, like Salah, like Zeitler. It plays a lot bigger than his size, really, but like Zeitler in terms of, in terms of that and like Voorhees. So uh, great set of options. Agree with you completely with that last comment. I did want to say... In terms of polls, which is another thing I try and look at, I had a limited number of polls that I was looking at, and I thought when the slot was set, he did a very good job of maintaining his momentum. That's something I want to see with with guards in general, that they don't – first of all, it usually boils down to decisiveness in maintaining your momentum. So you come through that – you're you're starting at left guard. You come through the the slot uh, appropriate to the play. Um, and that's you oftentimes is, is on the right side of the right guard. I want to see him be able to process very quickly and make his decision on the run and hit the, 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 the available defender that he's supposed to hit. And also to make good choices on whether he wants to wait or U turn for an, for a defensive lineman who got off his block further down the line of scrimmage and is making progress. A linebacker who's scraping is not usually a guy he's directly responsible for, but it can be a, a linebacker who's already in the hole for 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 sure, um, or he's just willing to say to leave that block behind and say I need to get that safety right there, or even I need to get that corner. I thought he did a very good job of not getting befuddled by U-turn opportunities. Make that U-turn block, and oftentimes uh, it, it's not even a matter of there's a great block to be made; it's there's no other block to be made. And so he gives up his momentum and he often can get a player can get stuck in the hole and the, and the player from the outside can then contain that hole more effectively against the runner. So I, I saw like, uh, you know, in Voorhees, I, I thought he made good judgments at while he was pulling on the, on the fairly limited set of runs I saw. And just from, from that, I think it's something the Ravens will coach up technique wise. And I think he's got all of the, um, other measurables that you'd want to be able to pull uh, given what the Ravens have been able to do with players like Bozeman uh, over the years in terms of making them into really good pullers. Uh, Good finisher, like we said. I I guess the last thing I want to say about him and the last thing I really want to say for the night here is that that the Ravens used a six-round selection from in 2024. And it's nice to say that he's a steal as a 2024 draft pick as a six, and you can just do that. It's not quite that simple because they only get him for three years, beginning 2024. I like to think of him as a mini Ajabo pick that could be even of greater value given the relative capital use. I mean, he could be a better player than Ajabo. Frankly, we really don't know at this point. But he he could certainly be a greater value because the, the pick use on a on Ajabo was still a very valuable one. It would have been the Ravens' second biggest pick in this draft. Um, and and uh, the the pick used on uh, on Voorhees is only a six. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was thinking about that at the time too. I was like, man, I mean, like to to get a guy of his of his of his caliber and ability with when healthy for the price of a you know I don't like to belittle you know the the, the any any draft because you never know what it could be in, a, in any given year. 
But to get a guy who, you know, who, if healthy, would have been like a – I've heard – I saw him projected that to go as high as the second round. Yep. You know, to get a guy who could have been like a second late, – at the latest third-round pick for the price of a sixth-rounder in a, in, a, in, a, in next year's draft or just a, a late-day three-pick period, I think is, trem- is tremendous value. And I mean, and, and Raven, Eric Dacosta even said it um, in, in, his, in, his, in his little quote uh, they posted on the team website, we envision this guy playing winning football for us uh, in, in, in the years to come. Because they, they already know. Like, they're, they're right here with me and you, Ken. They, are, they already know. This guy is, is going to be the future either left or right guard for the Ravens. So looking at this as a seventh-round pick, I have said this before about players. I said it about Geno Stone when he got drafted, but there's a reasonable chance he ends up being the best seventh-round selection in team history. I'm going to go through the competition right now. A whole bunch of guys who didn't work out, including some guys who never played in the league. Ralph Staten, who had five interceptions for the Ravens uh, and was a heck of a safety in their early years, play, started for about a year and a half. Uh, at safety for them was it was it was a dime back at, at one point as well so he's he's one guy uh campanero doesn't quite count because he got re-signed to the team so you kind of gave up on all the draft value as soon as you cut the guy and somebody else picks him up uh so that's not really it, it wouldn't be really fair to to, to say was but honestly the bar is not very high with campanero in terms of what voris could do for this team in a relative sense uh, D'Angelo Tyson, who played on the Super Bowl team in, in 2000, was a was a fine rotational defensive lineman for a while for the Ravens. Then he went back to the practice squad. Honestly, the Ravens got decent value out of him, but but not absurdly high. And then there's Stone himself, and he also was cut, went to the Texans, re-signed, and he ended up being a hell of a player, obviously, this last year, stepping in for for uh, uh, Marcus Williams. But uh, but the, the total, I mean, the seventh round draft picks the Ravens have ever had are are, are not that great, and and in a, in a way you have to think of Voorhees as a sixth round draft pick because of the capital they traded him for him. But in terms of of the actual round he was selected, I think there's a very good probability he ends up being the best player the Ravens have ever drafted in that round. Yeah, I feel like he can be the he can be to the Ravens what Trey Smith has been to the Chiefs. You know, a guy who who, who fell down the board. To, to day three as a result of a of, of medical something, even though Trey Smith wasn't coming off an injury, it was more of like they they didn't know about some kind of some kind of art thing, and now he's now he's one of their one of their one of their uh, key core starting offensive linemen, and I feel like he can like, he can be to the Ravens what what Trey what Trey Smith is to the uh, to the Chiefs, and that's a, a great a great a great uh, day three steal, steal. And how often can you say a seventh round pick? And how often are we going to be this excited about a seventh round pick? That's not a it's not the maybe the next kicker. 10 years after just Ducker retires or something like that. You know, like this is usually the excitement reserved for seventh round picks are usually like, you know, it's like, usually, like I said, usually for a specialist or, you know, like nobody knew Brock Purdy was going to be Brock Purdy last year. But um, like this for, for a guy who was like, said, clearly a, a day, day two talent to get him at this stage in the draft, even though he's not going to be available this year, I think it was well worth the investment. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, I, 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 he's, He's, I think he's the draft pick I'm probably third most excited about in the in the group after the after the top two. You know, in terms of 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 what, obviously we don't get to see him this year. That's that's kind of sad. It's very much like a Jabo last year, but uh, boy, am I looking forward to 2024 and and uh, and what he can do. Honestly, Ken, I, like as far as like judging like my reactions to the to the picks, 
he was the one that I was like, like I, he was the one I was like the second most excited about after 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 Zay, just because like where they got him and what I know this guy can do to me for this team. I'm like, I'm not poo pooing on the Trenton Simpson pick, but I was just like the fact of, like, oh, they got him there. Like I was, I was expecting him to potentially go undrafted and then you know maybe redshirt with somebody, but for them to, c- to come back and get him under that team control for the next four years, like I said that just, the, the value. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a big value guy. Like if you can get a guy who's been mm-hmm. sliding down the boards. And like at, a, at, a, at a much lower pick, um, like that I projected or that was widely consensually projected to go much higher. Kudos, man. Kudos. I mean, like they, they come into this draft with uh, with only five picks, in with six, and your six one B what was you know pretty much a, a second round pick, you know, because they said based on his on his talent level is uh yeah that kind of sweetened the pot for me and probably the reason why the Ravens got a lot of a lot, a lot of A grades, um, a lot of A's and B's after for their for their drafts. The, according to many media pundits, they love the flowers pick too. But a lot of people did, but uh, but yeah, you're right. The Voorhees pick is just an outstanding, uh, outstanding value, and it's gonna it's gonna be all the sweeter that the Browns traded him the pick. Uh, it's I gonna know. be uh, loading not yeah. all over again. <laughs> that was, uh, that, that's crazy. Like, like I, I, see, that's that's another thing. I know we're gonna we're gonna get off here. I really don't understand these interdivisional uh, trades. I mean, the, the NFC the NFC North have done it a bunch of times. Why would you want to help your opponent get better if this guy, like, like I think the 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 Vikings or the the Lions traded with the Packers so they could get either, uh, one of their tight ends, Tucker Craft or 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 the other guy or, or Luke Musgrave. If this guy is catching double digit touchdowns against against you for the next you know five six years, you hope you hope make that happen. Like I I I, I just don't get the individual thing in this in this event. You know the Ravens are actually benefiting from it. So you know I'm not really tripping this time around. But like I don't I just I personally you know from a competitive standpoint, why would you want to help your uh, your your rival get a te- get a player that they're targeting that they can use to hurt you? Yeah, and and if you're the Browns. Have a little humility about this situation and understand the Ravens probably know what they're doing. If they're willing to trade a six from next year to get back at the seven, it's a it's a fairly significant difference in JJ value or basically in a lot of charts value between the sixth and seventh round. I mean, JJ value, it's enormous. It's like 10 to one in terms of the relative value of the picks. So it's it's not insignificant that the Ravens would want to do this. And maybe the Browns should have just sat there and thought about it for I don't know, the, the 30 seconds they probably had while the clock was running and say, who do they want here? Who are they targeting? And do we want that guy going up against us, even though we want the six-round pick next year, no doubt about it. Um, but but you're right. I mean, it's it's a it's a real question. And uh, and I, I think the Browns probably lost some humility in thinking about, boy, we'd love to have a six-round pick because we can really make something out of that next year instead of thinking if the Ravens are using a six-round pick, they know what the they're doing right. so they're, they're, they're not gonna lose it so anyway i hope the i hope the ravens are right about this one that's uh that's just another point josh absolutely love doing these kind of shows with you we had so much fun over the course of the draft having you on day one was a was a real uh pleasure of course and and all the times we get to talk football i enjoy it thoroughly uh tell folks one more time where they can find you online Yes, yeah, so you can find all, all my uh, all my Ravens work at Heavy on Ravens. That's the Ravens website for uh, for 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 heavy sports. Um, I can be found on Twitter at, at Josh Reed nine zero seven. And um, if, you know, if you're from Anchorage or just like you know quality stories, I I'm a full time sports reporter for Anchorage Daily News and got some awesome quality features up there too. All right, outstanding. Thanks for coming on again, Josh. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be uh, on a show this summer, I got lots of openings. Whether you want that one play. 
anything about franchise building, if you've got reflections on the draft you don't think I've covered here and you want to say, well, wait a minute, this is a complete change in philosophy, I, I'd love to hear it. If you've got a new metric that you think is really important, you want to talk about that, I'd love to hear it. If you want to talk scheme, let's talk about it. Anyway, DMs are always open on Twitter. Hit me up there, and uh, I'll get back to you very quickly. Josh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken, like always. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.